You are listening to a Himal South Asian podcast. The defeat of Abdullah Yamin to the Maldivian Democratic Party candidate Ibrahim Mohamed Soli in the 2018 presidential elections was seen as a watershed moment for the political future of the Maldives. Following the MDP's resounding victory in the April 2019 parliamentary elections, hopes for democratic reforms and justice for past atrocities rose still higher. But is the new government in Malay living up to its democratic pledges? In this episode of Himal Interviews, our editor Onohita Mojumda is in conversation with Mushfiq Mohammed, a senior legal officer at the Maldivian Democracy Network. Mohammed talks about the new government's efforts at reform, the perils of political expediency, and the need for systemic political transformation amid post-election euphoria. Welcome to the Himal South Asian podcast, Mushfiq. It's really good to have you back here with us again. We've been following the developments in Maldives, obviously, as you know, and we have commented on the great courage of Maldivians in throwing out the autocratic government of Abdullah Yamin. Uh, but we wanted to hear from you about how things have been in Maldives since then. Thank you so much, Anuhita, for having me again. It's Really good to be back here, uh, speaking to you on the Maldives. Um, first of all, I'd like to say that you're right. It has been a political roller coaster of the past two years for the Maldives and the Maldivian people, uh, resisting um, authoritarian reversal. And I think things have changed since then, from going from euphoria to actually getting. The work done and and implementing these much needed reforms, um, which the government pledged um, when they went into elections. Following the presidential elections, of course, there were the parliamentary elections in which uh, the MDP won an overwhelming majority. But the process of democratization is obviously far more complex than just replacing one party with another or replacing one government uh, with another. So I'm wondering if you could talk about some of those processes. The move towards uh, democratic change began really in the early 90s, and what that resistance produced was a change in the electoral system. So in 2008, with the new constitution, we had multi-party um, elections for the first time. But a lot of the changes envisioned by the Maldivian people have yet to be realized, and um, many efforts have been made by by um, democratically inclined governments to implement these changes, but. Um, a lot of these efforts fall short because um, in, an interest is given to political expediency. And in a small island nation like the Maldives, it becomes more important to, to sustain that coalition rather than um, providing the community needs or addressing the community's aspirations. So, what are some of these aspirations that have not been met? I think the basic um, sort of infrastructure is lacking in the Maldives. 
we've had a long history of neglecting everything outside of Mali or the atolls and islands closer to Mali. So that uh, disparity is, is what we see today and why there's so much inequality and disparity in the Maldives. And on top of that, it is common knowledge that the Maldivian judiciary has not been able to provide the type of justice that we are seeking. The democratic movement that I spoke about just now, which started in the 90s, was really based around people against torture. And this torture was implemented against both political and non-political detainees. And so that has still not been a reality for Maldives. We still hear about custodial deaths. We still hear about torture in custody or during arrest. And that culture is what we really need to change. That culture of violence, which often gets um, put on the back burner when a new, more democratically inclined government comes into place. So uh, we can change people in these institutions, but the institutions don't change. Um, and without addressing these past grievances or acts of violence or corruption, we don't, we can't really move forward as a nation. I think what we are seeing is um, each time we give way to political expediency, we give away that opportunity to have long-lasting stability. The transitional justice process has started. So can you tell us a little bit where it stands right now? The current government came into power on the premise of um, providing justice for unsolved murders and um, uh, forcible disappearances and also to recover the assets that were lost with the um, the biggest corruption scandal to hit the Maldives and the money laundering that went along with it. So these mechanisms are worthy of applaud, but at the same time, uh, we must think whether this is a holistic program. When you have a limitation on the time frame, um, especially one that is so rigid and um, doesn't really reflect what the people want. What is the limitation right now? Right now, as we know from the government responses at the UN, we know that the current period is from February 2012 to September 2018, which only covers really the Yamin uh, period. But if we do that, I think we're compromising on an, a comprehensive effort to address um, past injustices. And that's really ironic because I think in Maldives, above all, the people really risked a lot and paid the cost of voting this party into power. I think what you've said there is is a, a very important fact that gets forgotten very easily with this, like I said, euphoria of coming into power, the sacrifices that people have made 
some killed and you know tortured, arrested, losing their livelihoods, their families, and the scrutiny that existed just vanishes with uh, you know within a few weeks. So I think it's important again to keep that scrutiny whilst um, acknowledging and valuing the positive changes. So the current government has set up a number of commissions. Can you explain a little bit about them to us? One of the first things that the government uh, did was to set up this commission on disappearances and deaths. But this is between 2012 and 2018. And it was... In the beginning, it didn't have any powers to undertake criminal investigations. But recently, it has been given that power by the parliament. And we are expecting to um, hear about the findings for Rilwan's case uh, within the coming months. But there have been many delays, again, um, with disclosing the findings uh, of the commission. Uh, we of course, understand the difficult environment in which they're working in, where um, there has been an incomplete investigation that willfully hides the perpetrators or evidence uh, incriminating these people. And at the same time, we're looking at a um, unreformed judiciary. So how will these findings um manifest itself as a uh, conviction uh, because that is what would bring justice um, for these families to get compensation and for the perpetrators to be convicted after a fair trial. And there is also the prison audit commission, the asset recovery commission, an ombudsman office, a public defenders commission. Uh, all of these have been set up by decree, have they not? Initially, there was a decree, but the only three commissions that were set up that way were um, the Commission on Disappearances and Deaths and the Prison Audit Commission and the Asset Recovery Commission. The other two, the Ombudsman Office and the Public Defender's Office, hasn't uh, started yet. It hasn't been set up yet. These presidential decrees were followed by laws empowering these commissions. So um, the Prison Audit Commission has actually finished its work and our executive director was a member of that commission and the report includes recommendations to the government, to the Home Minister on um, reforming the prison and police. So even with that, we're finding that a lot of uh, recommendations which come with uh, deadlines haven't been fulfilled in time. So this is, as, again, why we need to keep an eye on whether um, we are meeting these uh, deadlines and requirements that we have set. You pointed very rightly to the role of civil society in monitoring some of these uh, processes. And I think uh, it's very difficult in the current situation because there is a feeling, especially within the international community, that 
the good guys have been voted into power and perhaps there is less need uh, for organizations such as yours to continue working on these issues. Can you tell us how you see the role of MDN in the current circumstances? I think uh, because these democratic changes came so rapidly to the Maldives in a way and almost overnight within a few years we had multi-party democracy. So still I find that people are finding it difficult to understand the different roles that we play. Um, what is the role of a civil society? What is the role of the Prosecutor General's Office? What, what are their responsibilities? So when civil society criticizes uh, a government that seems to be more democratic, it does not mean that it is devaluing the struggle of the Maldivian people to bring this government. It means that we fill in the gaps between government ambitions and community needs. So if those government's aspirations don't meet the people's aspirations, then it won't, it's going to be a, a very superficial result. I think for politicians, the election and the consequent change in government is an end in itself. Whereas I think for civil society groups and democratic people, it's more of an opportunity and a starting point for change. I think because of the way that um, electoral democracies work, it gets really cyclical and short-sighted. So people are focused on five years, whereas civil society and human rights defenders and journalists are thinking on a much more a wider scale uh, of time. So I think that is what we are bringing to the table. We, we, we don't have selective amnesia. We want to look at the full picture. And I don't think the government also wants to forget these important aspects of uh, attaining justice and democratic consolidation. And we are very happy to have a government that is open to our suggestions for the first time in you know the past six years. And it, it is a hopeful time, but we need to be, we need to remain critical of what's happening in order to um, have a genuine democracy uh, in the future. Well, we've all been looking to Maldives, which has, I think, been one positive aspect within South Asia where the rest of the region has largely uh, gone towards more authoritarian regimes and uh, less democratic polities. So we look forward to hearing more about how the process unfolds and uh, more power to the NTN for keeping its eye on the really critical issues. So thank you very much for being with us here today, Ashwai. Thank you so much, Anahita and Himal, for speaking to us again. And like you mentioned, the, the fragile nature of democracy in South Asia, I think that is really one of the reasons why we should maintain this uh, focus on the Maldives and rest of South Asia. 
For more Himal podcasts, go to himalmag.com/podcasts.